Season number two, episode number eight, One Golden Moment Podcast. Justice Del Santos, Max Menemeyer, Lucy Schaefer, Joey Patton, aka Jose Patron. We got the full squad, and we're currently recording on May 15th of 2019, which means you three are nearing the end. I hate to. It, I, it, it's inevitable. It's finals week. I couldn't avoid this topic. We keep talking about it, like every podcast. This is how we open it up. But like, this is as close of a podcast we're gonna get to like the end. I'm I'm hitting y'all with the talk abouts. Talk about what it means to all like you like literally days from being done and graduating. Like has like what's what's the reality looking like right now? Well, I'll, I'd say we're all pretty beat right now. Just. I think we all have, what, one day left? Lucy, you have two, right? Two days left? It's really up to me at this point, okay. yeah. Yeah, so Lucy and I were talking earlier about how we're trying to bang through some papers and our sentence formulation is just kind of at an all-time low. So I was hoping that coming in here and talking to you guys, kind of playing off you guys, gets me uh, gets me going for this paper that I need to write tonight. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a little hard to even conceptualize graduation before I just get the work done. Like, I haven't shifted my mindset to the celebration aspect of it yet. I've got, like, 400 words left to write in this one paper. I could very easily write it in, like, 30 minutes, just turn the entire thing in. But I'm kind of playing that delicate balance between wanting to finish and having it within my power to finish as soon as possible but also not wanting the last thing I write in all of college to be completely bad so that's kind of my internal struggle at the moment yeah going off of that I feel the exactly the same way I have a final Friday night from 7 to 10 p.m so I got (laughs) that's the party yeah I uh you know, that was kind of a bummer. But, I mean, it was my only written exam, so, I mean, I'm thankful for that because basically I had two weeks to study between dead week and then this whole finals week. So I don't think it's really going to hit me that I'm graduating until that morning, you know, when I see my family and I'm in my cap and gown. I think that's when the reality is going to kick in. But for now, I'm kind of just focused on that exam. Lucy, to your point, it's like I was thinking of, like, hypothetically, like, 10 years down the line, are you going to remember the last thing that you wrote? Because I don't even remember the first thing I wrote here. God, probably not. (laughs) But it's more about the feeling, you know? It's more about the integrity, like, how you went in. I went into Cal, like, just gearing so hard. I wrote so many good papers freshman year and then kind of lost it in the middle, and now I'm just trying desperately to regain it right at the very end, I think. strong, yeah. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of your point, I don't care if my paper's garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to be done. Trying, trying to get out of here and graduate, man. But right. it is bittersweet. We were talking about reading the Daily Cal send-offs last night. I was just yeah. reading them, and I was getting really nostalgic. So it's bittersweet. But the work, getting the work done will be the sweet part. Leaving Cal will be the bitter part. Yeah. I remember back when I was running cross-country, you know, some, like, some meets would be like they'd feel better, some meets would feel worse. But one of my teammates was saying... Once you cross that finish line, it doesn't even matter what you did. It's like, you know it, you're done. So it's like, whatever may have transpired doesn't matter as long as you finish. So that's where I'm thinking about in terms of like the, you know, finishing that paper strong. Instead of just like YOLOing it. (laughs) Because 
Because if I was, like, personally, if it was me, I'd be like, let's get this thing done. I'm ready to get it going. <laughs> but last week, you did make the point that, you know, finals, you know, having to deal with Dead Week, having to deal with finals could potentially have impacted this series between Stanford. And we can't verify that for sure. I doubt anybody on that team is going to attribute this past week into finals. But considering how they played, it may have been a factor. So this past weekend, Cal, of course, plays uh, number three, Stanford. They take one of the three games. Game number one, Stanford defeats Cal 10-7, to and the Bears definitely had an opportunity to win this one. Top of the first inning, Andrew Doshbach hits a three-run home run, and you're kind of thinking, here's that number three team in the nation. But the Bears weren't phased at all by that really early punch in the face. They score five runs, five unanswered runs, and heading into that top of the sixth inning, they're leading Stanford 6-4. to now, uh, Sabori, who we've talked about extensively over the past couple weeks, he actually played more of a traditional starter role in this one. We'll get into that later. He only allows, you know, after that really rough first inning, he only allows one earned run in the latter four innings that he pitched. He ended up pitching five on the day. But once he's pulled from that game, Cal's lack of pitching depth really comes back to bite it. Granted, there was that defensive error. There were a couple defensive errors that didn't do the pitching staff any favors. That being said, though, Stanford did score six unanswered runs, and they can't all be chalked up to defense. Joey, I know that you had a you you texted us right when it happened. Do you want to just air out what one of those defensive errors was? Are you just, talking about game three with? Oh, was that game three? It was game three. Okay, never mind. We'll get to that when it's game three. <laughs> but all in all, it was a it was a relatively winnable game, and you know, considering last week, I said you know two of three is very plausible. Looking back on how this weekend went, that's a game that I'm really zeroing in on as a game that was winnable as to a lesser extent uh, game number three which we'll get to in a second so if the first game of that series was frustrating from the standpoint of Cal could have won that game then the second game was where Cali re- well, Cal really released that frustration in every sense of the phrase as they destroyed Stanford 18 to 2 this, the amount of runs that Cal put up in this game makes it a legal adult. So, <laughs> in, in the, what was the, the most lopsided win over Stanford in 16 years, uh, those 18 runs were the most that Stanford has allowed all season. The previous high being 11 to UCLA, which, you know, number one team in the nation at the time, that game. And it's really hard to zero in on any player just because there were so many great performances up and down that lineup. Cameron Eden, 3-for-3 with 4-RBI. Quentin Selma, 2-for-5 with a home run, 3-RBI. Max Flower, 2-for-5 with a home run, 3-RBI. But I think, you know, we did this kind of a little bit in the last one. I think we should zero in on the guys who, you know, really don't get that attention. Connor Mack goes 3-for-5 with a double. John John Legatuda and Hans Smith, both with a pair of pinch-hit home runs. That really speaks to, you know, how this game goes. Really think of, you know, garbage time in basketball where it's like the 13th man is getting some slam dunks at the end of the game. You really don't see it as much in baseball, but, you know, we kind of saw it on that game on Saturday. And, you know, of course, there's that Jared Horn kid. Goes seven innings pitch, strikes out six, doesn't allow an earned run in a performance that nets him the Pac-12 pitcher of the week. Now, game number three, the rubber match, and you're thinking with how game one went and how game two went, you know, that's a lot of runs for this Cal offense. But Stanford really proves why it's one of the best pitching staffs in this nation. Cal's held two hits and si- or two runs rather and six hits. The lone two runs coming off the bat of Andrew Vaughn via two-run home run in the eighth inning. Stanford starter Eric Miller goes five and two-thirds, strikes out eight, only allows three hits, one of which was an extra base hit. 
On the other end, Sam Stottenborough has a fine day in his own right, his third straight outing as you know the traditional starter not going uh, behind Saburi. He goes six point, his six and a third innings, allows three earned runs, strikes out three. Not the best start that he's had statistically, but when you're a freshman going up against one of the best teams in the nation, that's something that you like to see. So moving on to the macro, I think a good place for us to start is where we ended the last podcast. Not, not, not necessarily with the finals week part, because that was the very end that we talked about, but we were pondering the question of what would constitute a successful weekend for Cal. And we kind of hit a consensus that it was one of three, and I was kind of inching towards the idea that maybe two of three might constitute a successful series. But considering all that transpired, would we con- like, what, how do we look at this series, essentially? I think you can kind of get two answers from it. So I, th- I thought from last podcast that one of three would be good depending on how good they looked in the two losses. And I think in game one, they looked good. They were in a position to win. But you kind of s- have seen what you know has been kind of a theme for them against top teams in the country. This is the first one at home. Um, but being in a position to win against those top teams in late innings and close games and kind of whether it's, you know, kind of lackadaisical defense or just kind of a shaky bullpen performance, um, they gave one away. So I would say that it's a net win in that they were in a position to take the series um, and getting one, especially 18-2, to two, is pretty impressive. Um, but you really wish that you could have seen kind of a different narrative from this team. Um, in game one and, and solidified the second the second one of the series. Yeah, I mean, I think the outcome was pretty spot on from what I predicted last week. Um, I had a hunch that they were going to take at least one um, and then knew at least one of the other games were was going to be close. Um, in my eyes, the 18-2 and two win regardless of what happened with the rest of the series constitutes the weekend as a success because no other team that has faced Stanford has been able to do that. Um, And I think that just really shows that Cal has a really powerful offense. And I think ASU should be scared this weekend. I want to be a little more pessimistic here. Um, (laughs) Here's my thing. I just we got excited, you know. We picked up a game, a win against LSU. We picked up a win against Oregon State. Picked up a win on the road against UCLA, and that's great. But at some point, you got to see the team make the leap. It's not about putting up one win. You want to see them take away a series. I mean, a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss. And we dropped the series one two. Um, I'm gonna read a quote from Coach New, gathered by our dear friend Max over here. Shout out. He said, similar to some of these games and a lot of other series we've played, we haven't quite gotten over that hump. We're capable of playing with some of these top-tier teams. We just have to play a little bit cleaner over the course of the whole weekend and have a couple more guys step up in certain plays. And, I mean, I think that perfectly kind of characterizes what happened this weekend. It's great, you know, to be able to go toe-to-toe with these guys, but I think as you climb up in the RPI rankings, teams are you're going to be starting – people are going to start expecting you not just to hang with these teams but to take away some of these games. And, I mean, I don't know. Personally, I think we're there. We just got to get over the hump. And I think if you look at game one in particular, you know, there was those, there was the defensive error by uh, Corey Lee that allowed a runner to score, and there was the defensive error by Sam Wesniak that in not getting that run, it, you know, really allowed a run to, I don't remember if it tied, I believe it was a go-ahead run that made the score 7-6, uh, to six, and if you just look at the earned runs to runs, it was 
uh, during that first game of the series, ten of them were, or rather eight of them were unearned, and you start to think, you know, this was a three-run game. You chop out two of those runs, what happens? But then also when you play like the, when you start looking into the context as well, it's like, oh, if, you know, that run doesn't score, do these other runs score? And, you know, you made a point, um, so game three with the Quentin Selmayer, mm-hmm. do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So it was the second inning. Um, Stanford had no outs, runner on first, and a ball gets hit to Selma at third. And this ball is a shot, like it's coming in hot. But I mean, I don't know, they tell you in Little League, you got to square those up, take it off the chest, you know, at least keep it in front of you. Instead, he goes to the side of it, I think because it was coming in so hot, rolls up his arm, goes into left field. All of a sudden, you have runners on first and second, and then next batter comes up, tries to put two bunts down, doesn't work. So you have him down 0-2, that's the good news. And all of a sudden, next pitch, he hits one onto the RSF in left field, you know, and that was kind of detrimental. That was a double play ball, and the next at-bat would have gone down differently had those runners not been on. Was it? It was an inning, inning ending double play, wasn't it? Or was I don't, it not inning ending? I don't think there was just anyone on. Two out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, either way, that just happens in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, you see it at every level if, you know, whether it's a pitch that gets missed or, you know, a defensive plays that go awry, you always see that comes back to bite you. You know, it's just always say, like, you can't walk runners on because those runners somehow come around to score more than the ones that get on swinging the bat. So... It's just one of those things that, you know, Coach Coach New tested attested to. They just have to clean up. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that are easily preventable that, you know, cost them pretty much cost them the game in Game Three. And it's it's kind of a running joke where you know if you have a batter, there's and there's a, a pop fly in foul territory. They miss it. The very next pitch goes deep. So that that's, that's a very micro way of looking at it, but. You know, I kind of look at this series in two ways. You know, game number two, just considering, like, it wasn't just a win. It was, like, the volume which with they won that game. I remember last year during, the, in, like, the middle of the playoffs, LeBron had this quote, like, to go to basketball, but it kind of applies the same in baseball, and at least in the context that I'm applying it to, was two points isn't just two points, I'll show you. And then, like, the very next game, he hits that running bank shot to beat the... Raptors, and I think it was game three. So for me, in the same sense that two points isn't just two points, I think in that same sense, 18 runs isn't just 18 runs, or rather one win isn't just one win. And I think I even saw a stat before we got in here where heading into this weekend, Stanford was, they had the fifth best ERA in the nation. I don't want to say it was just because of game two. It was also, you know, really helped game one. But they jumped back to the 12th spot, and I think they went from, like, 3.05 to 3.37, just because of three games. Even the second game where they only scored two runs. And so that's one end of the spectrum where we can look at that as a successful series, you know, very much from strictly the offensive standpoint. I also say that Sabori did get stretched out a little bit, so that's something you like to see in terms of, you know, going long-term, what exactly we can do with this rotation. That's another point that we can talk about a little more in depth. But, you know, there is the point that at the end of the day, you are going to have to be able to win these close games. We can attribute it to this being a very young team and they're still trying to learn. On the same, in the same vein, though, they have been in this situation with LSU, with Oregon State, with UCLA. And, you know, when we talk about making the leap, we think more of year to year rather than month to month because these are lessons that have to be, you know, accumulated over time and you got to be able to, like, let them marinate a little bit. At the same time, though, I think that, you know, in the same way that, you know, I had a stat in 
the preview I was doing for Stanford where it's hypothetically Cal could have been 7-2 and two against that combination of LSU, Oregon State, and UCLA. In this same vein, Cal could have easily taken this series from Stanford with a better performance in Game 1 specifically. In Game 3, too, specifically defensively, there were some hiccups with the pitching, but I think, you know, tightening things up on defense really would have gone a long way both in this series and going forward with the rest of this season. I mean, yeah, I think you said it, Justice. That's, you know, something that we've been monitoring with this young team, too. And I thought it could have been different here at home. Um, but that's where I would have liked to see the leap. Is that kind of, we were talking about how good they've been at home. Um, and this was kind of their first real test. And um, for them to be in the same situation... Although I said earlier it was kind of a win, it was kind of a bummer to see that again. Um, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I know that we were talking in the last podcast when we were previewing this series about the impact, whether or not the home field advantage would have an impact. And I was unsure about that. Um, and I think now that we've kind of seen that it really hasn't in my look based on the data they have produced the same results against teams similar caliber teams on the road and at home um and so i i really don't think that um yeah i just really don't think that 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 is where like you said that is where we would expect and want to see them make the leap from the one win to the two wins but that is kind of where they fell short. Mm-hmm. And my big thing is like, you know, you just as you said, usually we think of a leap as year to year. I mean, even in the season, we saw them take the leap. That Long Beach series was the first time they really stepped it up. And then they go and sweep Wazoo. And then they go and take two of three to U of A. And I mean, that's when they really started heating up. And now I'm looking at this team. They have all the pieces they need to work with. You have the MVP of college baseball. You have a dominant Jared Horn. You have a bunch of juniors on this team. I understand maybe sure pitching is a little shallow. And yeah, we have a lot of freshmen on this squad. But I really do see the pieces that you need to work with, and I think they could make a run. It's just a matter of stepping into it and making it happen because I don't see any reason why they can't do it. And this kind of leads me to the second big question that I have in regards to this weekend, which was, you know, what did this weekend tell us about this team? Because, again, I see this as a two-fold type thing. On one end of it, you know, especially with Game 2, it's a team that has like a little bit of an FU edge. It's like, you have the fifth best ERA in the nation so what we're gonna lay down the hammer on you and we're gonna do what no other team can do and just straight out dominate you and the same can be said of game number one like mistakes aside being able to put up seven runs that's a healthy amount of runs and you know for the entire series for this team to hit 342 as a team against Stanford to average nine runs a game that's not something you can do if you're a scared young team but on the flip side of that it's you know are you going to be able to, when things get tough, potentially in tournament play, are you going to be able to close out those tough games? So that's where I'm curious about. Where do you see, like, did this weekend really tell us about anything about this team? Or given all that kind of happened, it's just sort of a, you know, a broke, not necessarily a broken record, but it's just reaffirming what we sort of know about this team. I think that's kind of hard to, it's hard to say right now because I think it did reaffirm some expectations that we had. I mean, we all kind of predicted last week how the series was going to go, and we were all pretty close, saying that, you know, it could it could be two, but we're expecting one. 
um, and it was in similar fashion to what it had been in the past against top teams. I'm looking at their home and away records, and they're only two games worse away than home. And I'm interested to see, like, do you guys think that's a good thing? Because as you were saying, Justice, um, this team doesn't seem to, like, care who they play. They seem to kind of play consistently and and um, perform as they do, whether they're playing kind of a Washington State or a Stanford or an Oregon State. Um do you think it matters if if they're as good as home as they are away? I mean, they're not going to host a regional if they if they get to the postseason. They're not going to be playing at home in the Pac-12 tournament either. Do you think that's good that you see a similar sort of trend on the road? Yeah, I mean, this series this weekend against Arizona State is the last series that Cal will be playing at home this season. And I think knowing that and that it's this late in the season – I think we can read the home and away, like home versus away record as kind of a good thing because this shows that the team is really comfortable wherever they play. They can get comfortable. They're really flexible. And um, they're kind of able to shift their mindset, you know. But at the same time, you would hope that there would be some sort of Again, because it's not going to be an easy series this weekend, and so you would hope that for the sake of them trying to figure out whether they are securely the fourth spot in the Pac-12, you would hope that we could have more confidence in the impact of home field advantage going into this weekend, in the very least. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm looking at the, uh, you know, having comparable records at home and on the road. I mean, that's certainly encouraging, considering this is our last series we're going to host. Um I think it just shows they're just going out there and playing baseball. doesn't matter if they're playing in front of 30 Cal fans, if they're going out and playing in front of 3,000 Cal fans. At the end of the day, baseball is baseball, and they have that mentality going into it. They're going to come out swinging. Um, if they don't get to host a regional, that's okay. We'll go out there. We'll do our thing. That's the mentality we got to have. And I think, you know, we're kind of talking about this a little bit, you know, from the perspective that, you know, at least I'm catching myself talking about this as if it's kind of a disappointment that they only won one of three, which is... I think it's, you know, it's more of like, oh, that it's like, a, oh, that kind of sucks that they didn't win this one of three, like they didn't win the series, then like a complete disappointment because we got to remember like who this Stanford team is, which you know they're currently the number three team in the nation and they're the third team in the nation for a reason. Yeah, it it does, in terms of that, you know, being able to take that, you know, that whole leap from you know just being a contender to being, you know, really being up there with the big boys. That's one thing. But it's not like they just went out here and like laid down and got swept. They did compete in all three games, and maybe not so much in terms of game three in terms of how competitive you would like it to be. But I think it is worth noting that you know this is still a really good Stanford team that they were going up against. They didn't re- Stanford didn't really have to travel far. They were coming from Palo Alto, which is a mile away via bus, if that. They were well rested. There's the rivalry juices that are kind of. Kind of like gave me the side eye on the regards to that. <laughs> you said a mile. I'm an hour away. That's dead week. That is dead week to a T. I actually I saw this video. This is a side note. I saw this video that was like, if you're going 80 miles an hour, how long does it take you to go 80 miles? And this dude was like, it's gonna take me 10 seconds. <laughs> but anyways, it's literally math so, I do right now. And there's also the matter of like adrenaline. Like these team, these two teams. You know, I can't really speak to whether or not they like each other or not. You know. 
personally, but it is the whole rivalry matchup. There's some juice. You got Stanford fans. You got Cal fans. So there's a lot going into the, you know the external factors, and I think just above all the fact that you know this is the number three team. So to be competitive in two of those three games, depending on how you look at that third game, maybe the entire series, to potentially have the opportunity to take two of three, I don't think it can be classified as like a holistic disappointment. More of that. Okay, this is you know it's. It's fine, but like let's let's see a little bit more rather than just like you you weren't doing it for me in in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you make about you can't really say black or white was it a success or was it a failure. Um, I think that kind of sets up the question in an unfair way. Um, so I completely agree with you. I just think my personal faith in the team and like all I've invested into it emotionally is kind of what got me disappointed. I really did want to see him take the leap. But if you're looking at it objectively, I mean, maybe it is a successful weekend. You do go drop 18 on the what third best team in the country, and that's awesome. Um, it would have been nice to see him take two of the three, but you're right. I mean, there is a lot of upside to it. And like you said, Lucy, it's not a black or white thing. Maybe there is some gray area in there. I think what really, you know, allows me to have faith in this in the, in this team going forward to be able to compete in postseason play. You know, the, the pitching was kind of up and down, but in, we're talking about success. I don't think you can get Benny any better as a team in terms of success when it came to, you know, this weekend against Stanford. You know, you did with games two and game three, you kind of had a bit of a regression to the mean. But even at that, you had this Cal team who they combined to score 27 runs over three games, nine a game. You, it's hard to really isolate anybody as having a really good weekend just because so many players had really good weekends. You know, you could say Cameron Eden, who went 6 for 12, 5 runs, 4 RBI. But then you could also say Quentin Selma, who went 4 for 12, but had 3 homers. You could say Darren Baker, who, on a side note, is riding a 12-game hitting streak right now. There's not really anybody that you can zero in on. And I think because it's so ambiguous as to who was the best hitter, over the course of this weekend, that really speaks volumes to just how well they did. And I'll just, I'll say the number again, 38 for 111, 342 as a team, you know, again, against one of the best pitching staffs in the nation. And then on Saturday in particular, not only do you have the 18 runs, a season high, but also, you know, 20 for 41 if you're just going by at bats. So to flirt with like a 500 batting average as a team in one game, I think if we're, if we're taking away anything from, you know, this series, it's that... You know, not only just like the we're not afraid of any team mentality, it's we're not afraid of who's on that mound in particular. It can be someone on UCLA, Oregon, LSU, Stanford. It doesn't matter. We're going to go out there and hit. And then especially with game two is because, you know, in baseball, you know, or rather basketball, it's like if you want to get garbage time points, you can kind of just do that. Like anybody can just because there's low effort, it's easy to score a bucket when no one kind of cares. But in baseball... You know, there's. I don't really believe in the idea of garbage time or like gar- or a quote-unquote garbage time run in baseball because you know there's no time. But even in a game when it's like 16 to one, you still got to go up there and hit a 90 mile per hour fastball. And to have you know, like Atuda and Smith come off the bench and have pinch hit home runs, I think that's big as well to see them being able to just be ready at any moment and come off the bench and deliver. And you know, we did see it in a very high stakes situation during that Utah series with Connor Mack coming off the bench with that pinch hit home run. Yeah. I another thing I really respect about the team is that they just they just really kept chipping away at it. Like they really just kept going for it. Like they were not, you know, they were up and they just kept 
you know, going for the home runs, boosting the score up just because they could. Um, and I just really like that mentality, that kind of tenacity, that unwillingness to to stop, like you say, even even no matter how much you're up by, you still have to go up and do something. And the fact that they were going up and still doing it with full energy and whatnot was something I really respected. Yeah, I think I think every player who started in the field recorded at least one hit in game two. And that's not including, you know, Hans Smith's uh, pinch hit homer. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that really was a team effort. And that's encouraging to see because, you know, when you're playing, you know, in a tournament or you're playing in some of these, like, series down the wire, you can really wear down an opposing pitching staff. Uh, especially in these elimination games when, you know, teams will throw other people out there at you. They're not necessarily going to have somebody eat innings. Um, so I think that's encouraging. Just That's what makes this Cal team so dangerous. Um, and I think I talked about it, what Wesniak said um, a couple weeks ago, and that what makes them so good as a lineup is just that they know the person behind them is just as capable as the person mm-hmm. in front of them or, or themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I mean, Lucy, going back to what you were saying about these guys in that 18-run game, just going after it, not letting up, just wanting to build on to that, I mean, that's the beautiful spirit of a rivalry series, in my opinion. You just want to go out there, and you want to put your arch nemesis in the dirt, and you want to rack up that score. And then Stanford showed that same thing coming out the next day, saying, all right, you guys embarrassed us yesterday. We're not going to let you do it again. And they came out with that same competitive fire. And I just think that this series kind of showed everything that's beautiful about a rivalry. Most definitely. And, you know, we're talking about the, the hitting, too, but I think in terms of you know, the more examination and, you know, really being able to dig our teeth into something rather than just saying, oh, yeah, good job, you hit well, is sort of the pitching staff. And I think this was this was the first weekend, if not in this entire year, that you had three like actual starters. There was no real opener. It was, you know, you had Sabori going, I believe... You had, five innings, you had yeah. Savory going five innings, you had Horn going seven innings, and then you had Stottenborough going six and a third. And, you know, we have we have seen Sabori, you know, kind of get stretched out a little bit, but I think this is the longest that he's pitched in quite some time. I know that he's pitched at least five innings sometime this year. And it's really it's really opened up the ambig- ambiguity of this pitching staff over the last several weeks is like starting with that Oregon series when Stottenborough gets sick and he doesn't play in the first game and he has to get pushed back to BYU on Monday. Ever since that series, we've seen, you know, this sort of a shuffling of roles and who's pitching and who's really getting stretched out. It's gotten to a point where Rogelio Reyes isn't really making that extended relief outing on Sundays anymore. He's really just become more of a traditional reliever. I don't believe Grant Holman pitched during this weekend. So it's been, you know, the, the rotations, I don't want to say a state of flux because that has a very negative connotation, but there has been some shuffling. And, you know, we've seen a couple characters throughout, you know, the duration of this season. And I'm just curious as to what y'all thoughts are on where do you think New should go going forward with his pitchers? Should, you know, now that Stottenborough has kind of had the training wheels off, do you think he should just have Sabori be that starter? Or do you think that's sort of an impediment to him being able to close games, maybe keep that, keep him in that opener role to, you know, still start the series off on the right tone and have him available in the bullpen? Or is it, you know, let's have, let's let Sabori pitch as a starter because, you know, 
a lot of these guys, that's how they start off as, you know, starters and they eventually moved into that role as a relief. Or is it sort of something in between where it's like, we'll just test out the waters and see what we see, especially over this next weekend against Arizona State? Yeah, I'm really, you know, I know we've talked about pitching a lot, especially in the earlier podcast, the kind of in clarity of the pitching rotation because they were testing out all these young pitchers and now it really seems like they've settled on a few, including Stoutenborough, but also a few kind of bullpen guys that are their go-tos. Um, and I'm just really kind of proud of them for, even though it's nearly the end of the season, they seem to have finally got to the point that I thought they would get to maybe a month ago where they have kind of settled into the more traditional starters roles. Um, and as per Armin Sabori, I think, I mean, he's been doing a great job as a starter. I think he did a great job this weekend, even though I guess he had four earned runs, but he still has the second lowest ERA on the team behind Horn. And so I think that he, I think that kind of shows that he does have it in him to pitch longer, especially because Stoutenborough can kind of do his own thing on a separate day now. I don't think they necessarily need to be link, linked together anymore. Yeah, I would like to see Coach New continue to start Stoutenborough. I mean, at the very least, he's been keeping the team in games. And, you know, with Cal's offense, all they need is a few runs, a few runs margin, and, and they're liable to do anything late in games. Um, so I would like to see Stoutenborough stay as that kind of that second starter behind Jared Horn. Um, and then I think these next two weekends, Coach New could kind of see if he could stretch Sabori out and in another game against Arizona State, maybe in Washington. Um, may kind of, I think in the LSU series, we saw like the combination of Sabori and Reyes at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's still some tinkering to be done with kind of that third end of the rotation um, Still, but I think I would like to see Stoutenborough continue to get full starts, and obviously Jared Horn is Jared Horn. You know, he's your ace. Yeah, no. Um, in regard to like shuffling and moving around with you know with what you have, the pieces you're working with, I really do think a lot of the pitching shuffling we've seen. Mike New's a big analytics guy. He uh, he's talked to Bob Melvin. He told us manager of the A's. He looks at what the Tampa Rays are doing. He looks at what the A's are doing how effectively they use their guys, which situations they bring them into. I really do think that he's reading statistics in a lot of these things, maybe at least. Um, I think that's worth keeping in mind. And also, on the note of Sabori, I really do think that he's best in the pen, and I think you need to reserve him for later innings, at least in my opinion. Um, I just think if you burn him too early on, it kind of leaves the question of, well, you're going to bring him now, because he's the only surefire guy you can really feel confident going with in those that 7th, that 8th, that ninth inning. And so I think he's most valuable coming out of the pen in later innings. I think the way that I kind of see it right now is Horn is the only lock, not in terms of the guys that they're going to pitch, because, you know, you got Sabori, Stoutenborough, Reyes, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, he's more the only lock in terms of who's going to pitch in what role. It's like, you know, Saturdays, that's Horn's start. Everything else and who's going to be involved is kind of ambiguous. I do agree with your point. I think the perfect blend for Sabori in terms of getting the most out of him is having him be in sort of that opener role on Friday and, you know, see what you kind of got in there. Maybe, you know, 
some combination of Reyes and Holman on those Friday games. And then on Saturday and then on the Sunday game I do like how Stoutenborough is, you know, getting the keys to the car, so to say, and being allowed to pitch that, you know, being allowed to have legitimate starts go five, six, or even seven innings. And, you know, for him to only be a freshman and to have this experience now and, you know, as these you know, as the season goes along from here, these are only the pressure for these individual games is only going to go up and up. So if we're taking a very macro view and looking at Stoutenborough's next two seasons, including a sophomore, junior, potentially even senior year, depending on where he progresses, I think this is really good experience for him going forward and for new to have, you know. Because you don't know what this roster is going to look like next year, but to go into next season knowing that you have a guy that's he's only going to be a sophomore, but he's accustomed to pitching heavy innings and being in these high intensity situations, that's something that's you know very good for this Cal team going forward. But I would say just to really zero in on this season, I you know Sabori, you can use him as you can use him in either role. I think he's best in terms of that opener slash closer role. But this kind of leads me to another question I have about this team where if you have to win one game, this is just one game, everybody's available, you know, maybe sprinkle in a little bit of fatigue in there just, you know, considering it's a series, but who would you go with and what, like, how would you approach that? Would you go Horn and say, like, go seven and then we'll throw Reyes and Sabori and whoever in there? Or would you mix it up and maybe you go Sabori is the opener and then Horn and Relief. So what combinations would y'all be looking for in like a one like a one game elimination game? I mean, I think the co- the combination I have the most confidence in is Horn starting, Sabori coming in in the 8th or ninth and just finishing it off cuz as you said, Joey, he's really the the most dependable person that can come out in those later innings. Um, and I know the team has struggled a lot before trying to figure out who is, who are the most reliable people in the pen slash who can be a closer for Horn specifically because they never have used Sabori as the closer for Horn. Um, but I think that, that combination is fail proof. What do you all think? I agree. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I think... As far as the Jared Horn thing, you know, he's been pitching so well as in that traditional starter role that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, I I think he's the guy you ride with in like a one-game kind of elimination-style game if he's available. Um, we've never seen Coach New pitch Sabori after Horn. I think a lot of it goes... Um, some of it might go with matchups. Some of it might go with who's been pitching well and who's available. Um, but I do agree that Sabori has kind of been the most consistent guy out of all those guys who have come out of the bullpen so far this season. Jared Horn, complete game. <laughs> it's bound to happen sometime. Eventually he's going to get there. On a serious note, I would ride Horn as far as he's willing to go, as long as he's hot, as long as he's not at, like, 150 pitches or something. But even if it's an elimination game, you got to do what you got to do. You see some wacky stuff in postseason baseball, like in the MLB. No, not really 150, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't, think, I don't, think, I don't think we're in the dead ball area anymore. <laughs> no, but honestly... Tim Linscombe had 144 once, right? Did yeah, that was the San Diego no-hitter. no-hitter. Yeah. It was one of those. Okay, well, he's throwing a no-no. Yeah. you got to... I don't know. 
I think Mike Fires just got stretched out too. Mike yeah. Fires was like one twenty nine or something like that in the no hitter. Yeah. yeah. Save the difference that you know professionals versus amateur athletes. Yeah. Anyway, it's a yeah. big. Um, anyway, I would say ride Horn as long as you can, and then yeah, it's got to be Sabori coming in to follow him. Not adding too much to what you guys just said, but. <laughs> Yeah, I would say in addition to Sabori and Horn, I have, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, Rogelio Reyes has been doing very well just as strictly a reliever. I think in his last five outings, he's yet to give up an earned run. You know, I think having, you know, he did, he, he pitched pretty well in sort of that quasi-long reliever role, but I think for him, it's in his best, like, for him, his best option is just be as a reliever and to just you know, really empty the tank, so to say, and get as many guys as you can out. And, you know, going with Sabori immediately after, you know, that's really a good combination right there of Horn, Reyes, and Sabori to really finish things off, assuming that all three guys pitch well. Maybe if you needed to use, you know, maybe if Horn gets cut short, maybe you, if you had to use Stottenborough for a little bit, maybe if you got to use Holman for a little bit, but I think in terms of the three guys that you, I would look for most in terms of an elimination game would be Horn, uh, Reyes, and then uh, Sabori. And I think so, just we're running a little short on time here. We're about at the 40-minute mark. So we had the conversation about expectations with Stanford. Now we're going. Cal's going to be going up against an Arizona State team. They're not ranked, but they are one spot above Cal in the RPI. So this is a very big series in terms of RPI implications. This is a series at home. Most importantly, this is the last three series that y'all are going to see as students at this <laughs> university. Mm-hmm. Lucy, you wrote the preview, so what should we be looking forward? Look, What should we, look, we be looking for during this Arizona State series? Yeah, I mean, when I was starting to do a little research on ASU, I couldn't help but notice just how many similarities the Cal team and the ASU team share. I mean, as you said, they sit um, 34th and 35th with Cal at 35th in the RPI. They're tied um, in the Pac-12, each with a record of 14 and 10 right now. They're tied fourth. Um, they, all the teams have managed, or both teams have managed a win over, one win over Oregon State and UCLA. Um, they have very comparable stats. Um, in the in the batting order and really Cal is has a marginally better um, collective ERA um, which may be due to the really low ERA of Horn um, and just some others being thrown in there but there are just so many similarities that they share statistically that I think this is going to be a really really competitive series and kind of a toss-up you know I think it's going to really come down to who New does decide to put into the pitching rotation um, if the guys have been working on cleaning up their defensive errors this week and if they can really contain the kind of big hitters on the ASU team. Um, There is Hunter Bishop who has logged 22 home runs over the season which makes him fourth in the nation. Um, Spencer Torkelson is at 19 right now and nobody not even Vaughn is really anywhere close to them um, in terms of just straight homers Um, so with that said though Cal still has a really strong offense as we've seen 
Um, and both of them have kind of relied on their offense, um, as New pointed out to me when I talked to him yesterday, to kind of carry them through some games where they have had defensive errors and such. So I think it really is a toss-up. And again, home field advantage questionable. So I think, I don't know, if I had to make a prediction. <laughs> no sweeps. Um, no sweeps. No, I think, go sweep. I think Cal can take two. I feel like this That's is my what... prediction. They're going to do something this week. They got the yellow hats on in practice today. That means they're <laughs> heating up, so I don't know. I'm waiting for them to do something uh, exciting. And I kind of feel like this is one of those weekends where they have to take two of three. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they've been flirting with these top-ranked teams. And, you know, top-ranked teams are one thing. But what do you do against the team that's sort of in your tax bracket, so to say? So... I'm going to be very interested to see how this pitching staff handles Hunter Bishop and Torkelson. Not only do they have a combined 41 home runs, they're the only... They make Arizona State the only team in the nation to have two hitters in the top 10 in home runs. There's a lot of power between them. It's, I don't know if I'm going to say it's going to be a complete slugfest. There is a lot of offense on both sides. But, you know, save that Saturday game. Who knows what can happen in terms of how that offense is going to go. But I think it's going to be fun to just see, you know, someone that, you know, is kind of flirting with taking that mantle of the best hitter in the Pac-12. There's also, you know, a solid catcher from Oregon State that, you know, might go number one in the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is about narratives for this weekend. This is this weekend. But Joey Max, I'll let y'all have the final say and then get on out here and keep studying. <laughs> I think that's kind of lit to see just these high-powered offenses and to see... I mean, okay, look, don't get me wrong. I love... I appreciate the art of pitching. I got to see Horn versus Jared... Gar- Ryan Garcia, excuse me, down in UCLA, and that was beautiful. Like, I'll always appreciate seeing two pitchers duel like that. But, I mean, honestly, if I see each team putting up 10 runs this weekend, I see a hit parade, dingers left and right, that'd be so lit. Yeah. I'm honestly looking forward to some... <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah, yes. I'm looking very, forward very to some high-powered offense this weekend. That's, I mean, I guess that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to add. Both these teams obviously mash. Um, so I just think it'll be, you know, kind of what pitching staff has a better weekend. Unless, you know, it goes Joey's way and it's 11 to 10 in three games. But <laughs> I think there'll be one or two games where the staff has a good day and holds one of these teams in check. So I think that's going to be the key to the series. Before we get out of here, players of the week. Let's just, we're running a little bit on short on time, so I think let's just run through them. Joey, starting with you. I got Mr. Golden Spike semifinalist Andrew Vaughn. Over cheating, the weekend, he went. Cheating. It is a little <laughs> too easy. <laughs> he went four for 11 on the weekend. Uh, three of his four hits were for extra bases, drove in five, scored three runs, and he had a home run, and gave the fans their money's worth in game three. So I'm going with Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, I think it would be very easy for me to say Horn, and despite his kind of awful error in game three, I'm going with Quentin Selma. Um, he went four for 12. He had three home runs over the weekend, which I think speaks for itself. Um and I just love a, a good Kanye walk-up song, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going Eden, Cameron Eden. Um, six for 12 with four RBI in game two. Uh, five runs scored and a stolen base this weekend. Basically contributed every way you could offensively. So, Cameron Eden. 
I guess someone's got to say it, Jared Horn. Pac-12 pitcher of the week, seven innings pitched, only three hits, three walks, six strikeouts. He's done this multiple times. Did it to UCLA, as you mentioned, Joey. Did it to Stanford. And, you know, we've really talked about this team, like, not really being scared of the competition. I think if you want to extrapolate it to one person, that's Horn more than anyone. And that being said... I, I don't want to wrap it up, man. I, I don't want to go back to, not only do I not want to go back to studying, but this is the last one y'all are going to be doing as students here. So I'm, I'm content to milk it a little bit. But are we going to be crying in the club? <laughs> but that being said, season number two, episode number eight, One Golden Moment podcast, Jessica Del Santos, Max Menemeyer, Lucy Schaefer, Joy Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron. Until next time, signing off.